1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance of the USA Wealth Group. It's time to get your finances in order. MoneyWise starts now. And good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to MoneyWise. It's a new world of taxes this year. We're going to talk about taxes today. Everybody's always interested in taxes. You hope when you file your tax return, you're going to get a large refund. You hope you're not going to have to pay taxes. And most people just really don't understand it. The Internal Revenue Code is actually larger, contains more pages and more words than the Bible does, Hmm. for example. Did you know that? I did not, no. And say a good morning, ladies and gentlemen, to Attorney Michael Coleman. Michael's here to assist me this morning. Um, Mike, I suspect that from doing these shows as well, as well as the things that you read, you've probably learned a lot more about taxes than you ever did in the past. I certainly have, yeah. Um, there's a lot to learn, especially with the new laws, obviously. But right. Yeah, yeah, it's, and I do, you know, in our practice, we have to pay attention to certain tax issues. Of so, course. Yeah, yeah. Well, we appreciate you being here with us, Mike. Uh, you're with the uh, Lance Law Firm, yep. Inc. Right, correct. And, um, we do estate planning, so uh, trusts and wills and powers of attorney, and we also do probate. We handle real estate transactions. So, Almost anything that concerns people's property and people's money and Pretty much, protecting yeah. people's assets, right, basically. Right, yep. exactly. Well, that's all good stuff. And what I'm about today is to talk about some things that you may or may not know about your taxes. We haven't talked about taxes for a little while, but because... We're in the middle of tax filing season right now. I thought this would be a good time to do that. And I'd like everybody to know that we have something called key tax changes from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And this impacts, for the first time, uh, the year 2018 is the first year that all these new rules have gone into effect, which means if you're filing a tax return in this year, in 2019, uh, this new law applies to you. So we've got a great little publication. It's uh, one piece of paper. It's uh, printed on both sides, and it talks about uh, particular topics and then what's the new law, what's the old law, and then there's some comments. For example, we still have the same number of income tax brackets, but the rates have changed. And one of the things that means is that you may have to make some changes in your withholding if you're employed and you have uh, taxes taken out of your, your income, taken out of your pay. And there's been a lot in the news lately. There's been a lot on television, in particular news stories about the fact that people aren't getting as large a refund uh, for 2018 as they did the prior year. And what's worse, a lot of people who have received refunds in the past all of a sudden are finding that they're going to have to pay taxes mm-hmm. for the year 2018. Right. And so I've talked about that a little bit and said – one of the things you ought to do is you ought to not wait until the last minute to file your tax return. Mm-hmm. You ought to find out ahead of time for planning purposes if you're going to get a refund or if you're going to have to pay some money mm-hmm. because then that'll give you a little bit advance notice and time to, to plan. So you can do your own taxes. A lot of people do that. You can go to a tax preparer. You can get online tax preparation programs. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, what some of the good programs are that you might want to look at. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't cost a lot of money to get tax preparation software, and some of them I think are even free. I think you can go to H&R Block online, for example. Or TurboTax. Or TurboTax, and if it's a fairly simple return, 
Um, I think you have the ability to do that directly online without even having to pay for the software. Well, it's not so much software. It's just you have to pay. I think you do have to pay a fee um, to actually do it through okay. TurboTax at least. Probably for TurboTax. Yeah. But in any event, um, there's a lot of instruction on irs.gov as well. If you're a little concerned about this, it doesn't take a lot of effort to try to do the preliminary calculations. And we're going to talk about the fact of how few people are now going to be able to itemize deductions. Mm -hmm. So in the past, a lot of people have itemized deductions, and that's allowed them to claim things so that they could get a larger refund. Yeah, one of the things that I've actually been asked recently is about um, the ability to deduct any portion of the amount paid for setting up an estate plan. Um, Part of that used to be deductible as tax planning, and that's been eliminated now with the new law. And the reason is because they've um, eliminated a lot of the miscellaneous deduction items that you could deduct, uh, you know, tax preparation costs and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of new rules out there. It impacts virtually everybody in the country. And um, I'm going to start by giving you some information from Winston Churchill. It may sound funny because he was British after all. (laughs) But uh, Winston Churchill once said, We contend that for a nation to try to tax itself into prosperity is like a man standing in a bucket and trying to lift himself up by the handle. (laughs) I like the imagery of that. (laughs) And we're going to talk about that because one of the important estimates about the new tax bill is that it's already been calculated that the tax cost of this uh, tax reduction and tax changes, um, especially as it affects wealthier people, the tax cost of this to our country is going to be over $1 trillion. It's going to add to our deficit. Wow. And I guess the first thing that I'd like to say is that the the new tax changes for individuals are only going to be in play for five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And then the way the law is written right now, uh, after that five-year period, it's designed that we go back to where we were before with higher tax brackets and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now, whether a new Congress will make some changes or make it permanent or not, it's hard to say. Right. But the basic economic premises is still very difficult if you think about it because if as a result of this tax bill, it's not creating more jobs and more prosperity. And we know there's already going to be a tax cost of $1 trillion mm. to add on to our existing deficit. What happens at the end of five years when we still have the sim- same situation? Right. We're going to have to go back to higher taxes. So learn as much as you can about taxes because um, we live by taxes in this country. Right. You have to. So let's Go ahead. And you have a great breakdown of the key tax changes here. Yes. And this is a form that's available from your office, which really goes through all the different um, topics and the new law versus the old law comments on these taxes. So I know this is something that you give out to your clients. Yes. If anybody is interested in one of these key tax change charts, just give a call to our office, 508-998-8858. It's free. It's a very useful guide. We've given it out to uh, quite a few hundred people who've come into the office yeah. already. Um, so, for example, um, let's go through some of these for individuals. Under the old law, there was something called a standard deduction. So if you didn't have enough things to itemize and, and claim itemized deductions on your 1040, 
you would take a standard deduction. Under the old law, you would be able to get a standard deduction of 6350 for a single person. That's now $12,000. So they've increased the standard deduction. Uh, for a married couple, it used to be 12700 and that's now $24,000. Right. So you would think right away in doing that um, that that would be beneficial. Well, it will be to some people, mm-hmm. but at the same time they did this, they adjusted withholding charts and withholding tables. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're not going to pay quite as much in taxes, but maybe you um, didn't have as much money taken out in withholding. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who have looked closely at your uh, your payroll stubs, for example, you might have an extra 10 or $15 a week in your paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that's because they didn't take out as much in taxes. So they're trying to fine-tune, uh, if you will, what impact that's going to have so that the Treasury isn't holding on to as much of your money. What that means, however, is that if you're not putting as much money into withholding, you're not going to get as big a refund at the end, right? right. even though they've increased the standard deductions. So many things on this chart can be helpful. If you are in a category where you've had to pay alternative minimum tax, there's discussion about that. There's discussion about medical expenses. The old law said you could deduct medical expenses, but again, you've got to be able to itemize deductions to claim this Mm -hmm. if it exceeded 10% of your adjusted gross income. This is a little dull, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Um, That's now been changed to 7.5%. So, again, it doesn't really benefit you unless you itemize deductions. And as you said, a lot of miscellaneous itemized deductions have been eliminated. So there's been a lot of tinkering. Um, You can no longer deduct moving expenses, um, tax preparation fees, casualty losses. You mentioned Mm -hmm. advice for doing your estate plan. Right, right. It's no longer a deductible expense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Charitable giving rules have changed. One of the most important ones, which has impacted a number of states like Connecticut and New York um, that have high real estate taxes, there's something called the SALT deduction, state and local tax is what it stands for. And it used to be that if you had property in two locations, for example, and you paid $15,000 in real estate taxes, you could just itemize it. Mm-hmm. Now there's a limitation of $10,000. Wow doesn't necessarily impact a lot of people in Massachusetts, but it does for New York and Connecticut and other places. Mm-hmm. Or the people that it will impact in Massachusetts are people that might have uh, two homes, for example. Mm-hmm. So now there's going to be a limit on how much you can deduct in your real estate taxes. And one of the main issues that we deal with at Lance Law is estate tax. So here in Massachusetts, the estate tax didn't change. It's still a $1 million exemption. Um, for every individual in Massachusetts, but the estate tax on the federal level did go up. Um, so right now it's about just over $11 million exemption mm-hmm. um, yep. per individual for federal, 11.2. Yeah, federal estate taxes. And so, Mike, I guess what that really means, if you think about it, is that uh, very few people are going to have to worry about paying the federal estate tax going forward. It says only uh, 8 in 1,000 estates are expected to owe federal estate taxes in 2018. And I've got some other numbers in one of my other pieces of material for today as well. Um, To look at it on a a numbers basis, it's estimated that I think only about 2,000 people in the country are going to have to file um, a federal estate tax return going Mm -hmm. forward. 
that's significant. So, for example, the year before, about 6,500 estates in the country would be filing and having to pay a federal estate tax. That's mm-hmm. a pretty small number. Yeah. But now it's going to be fewer than 2,000 estates in 2018 are going to be expected to pay a federal estate tax. Mm-hmm. So very much the new tax bill was designed to help really wealthy people more than any other category. Yeah. I mean, the exemption before was $5.6 million, so it's, it basically doubled the exemption amount. Right. So, again, that's not really important for almost anybody listening today. I don't know too many people who are going to have $11.2 million estates. Or if you're married, you can double that. You can have $22.4 million. Mm -hmm. Not too many people have estates that large who are listening today. But that's not true for Massachusetts estate tax, is it? No, that's correct. The estate tax here in Massachusetts is still the $1 million exemption amount. So... That includes real estate, life insurance, proceeds, retirement accounts, bank accounts, all of that. Everything you own. Yes, exactly. So, so the, the bottom line is that don't think you're going to get away because you don't have to pay a federal estate tax anymore. Uh, the Massachusetts estate tax has not changed. And as uh, Attorney Mike Coleman has just said, it's a $1 million exemption per person. Or if you have more than that and you do proper estate planning, Mike, Mm-hmm. then you can shelter $2 million worth of assets. Correct. We do a lot of trust work, and part of that is planning for estate taxes. So if the estate is below $2 million for a married couple, then there are ways that we can do trust planning to minimize estate tax liability. So I'd just like to remind everybody that if you have interest in receiving one of these charts which says key tax changes, there's a bonus about this chart, Mike. You oh. know what the bonus is? No. Oh, the picture of you on it? It has my picture on it. <laughs> <laughs> Just noticed that. Well, you can uh, you can cover over that or <laughs> put a mustache on it or something else. Um, one of my favorite people that I like to quote a lot, uh, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was a statesman, a politician. He helped write the Declaration of Independence. He was ambassador France to, to France at the mm-hmm. time of the Revolutionary War and was mm-hmm. responsible for getting are largely responsible for having the French support us in our war for independence against the British. Mm-hmm. But I like him. He was also a, uh, a master mason. He was very active in the Masonic fraternity. And Benjamin Franklin once said in private correspondence, but in this world nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. So if you've heard that phrase, <laughs> that comes from Ben Franklin. Okay. <laughs> and it's in writing to prove it. But... Um, Nobody really likes to pay more taxes than what you need to. No. And there's an expression which is very true that, yes, everybody needs to pay taxes, but you don't need to pay a nickel more than what you're required to pay. Mm -hmm. And if you get proper advice and if you get proper legal advice and tax advice, then you can save money on taxes. So let's talk about the big picture of the tax bill. Okay. Um, Tax brackets have um, changed a little bit. Uh, actually, the tax brackets have stayed uh, the same in terms of the number of brackets that we have, but the rates have gone down a little bit, mm-hmm. but not significantly. Uh, I'm not going to try to read that over the radio because it's pretty uh, dull and pretty boring. But for most people, uh, very few people are now going to be able to itemize deductions. To put it in perspective, it's estimated that it's only going to be about 11% of all tax filers 
are now going to be able to file uh, and claim itemized deductions. So you're going to rely on the standard deduction and the personal exemption. The personal exemptions um, have changed. The standard deductions have changed. Um, as we said, for 2018 and, and for the next four years, uh, the standard deduction is now $24,000 per married uh, couples. So if you happen to be in a lower income category, you're really not going to worry about paying uh, much for taxes at all. Uh, it does go up um, a little bit. In 2019, it goes up to 24400 and just very slight changes of that. But it's estimated that because of this, um, in the past, we've been able to have about 47 million people in the country itemize deductions. And depending upon which source you look at, New York Times says one thing, Wall Street Journal says another. That number is expected to go down by about two-thirds and somewhere between 11 and 18 million people in the whole country out of 150 million returns are going to be able to itemize. Hmm. So if you've been doing that in the past and saving all your receipts, you may not be doing it again uh, even this year. There's an interesting thing here. It says a larger standard deduction means um, tax returns will be simpler for a lot of people, but on the other hand, they won't get a specific benefit for having a mortgage or making charitable deductions, right? Uh, donations, I'm sorry. So that may affect uh, decisions about owning a home or giving a charity, which is interesting if they're using that standard deduction. Right. And there's always been some concern, or there has been some concern, I should say, since the new tax bill was passed by charities and churches and so mm-hmm. forth, wondering whether people are going to be reducing their contributions to charities. And it It'll be really curious to yeah. see, probably another three or four months, whether that's uh, actually happened. My experience at you know in the law firm, when people want to give to charity, it's not really for tax purposes, but I'm sure it's a consideration. It is a consideration, but that's a really good point. Um, I've actually gone in the past to a three-day conference out in the Midwest just on charitable deductions and charitable giving. Uh, very interesting. I got a book about two inches thick. Mm. I haven't read it. <laughs> it's, it's it's a reference book, not yeah. a reading book. Um, but the number one reason that people give money to charity is because of the personal satisfaction mm-hmm. that they get in making the gift, yeah. not yeah. because of tax motivation. I had a client who just passed away, and in his trust he did uh, some specific gifts to charities. And one of those was an organization that helps um, impoverished individuals around the world. And as a result, we got a letter from this little boy in uh, Colombia mm-hmm. thanking him for the donation that he made to this organization, Right, which was nice. It helped him. Yep, and it's important when you're making contributions to charity that you knew something about the background of the charity. For yep. example, I've always liked the Salvation Army. They've done a lot of good things. They've helped my family in the past. When we were um, homeless after uh, we got hit by a tornado, we lost all of our furniture and everything. Mm-hmm. I've told that before on the radio. And um, Salvation Army did a lot for us at that time. But the other thing I like about the Salvation Army um, and the Red Cross both is Salvation Army in particular has a a very low percentage of their budget goes for actual operating costs or administrative costs. Mm-hmm. I think it's like 4%. Okay. And all the rest of the money goes directly to helping somebody. Mm-hmm. So that's always impressed me. Yeah, that's nice. And I, I like to look at how much of your budget is going towards supporting the organization right. versus how much is helping people. Right. 
Well, the personal exemption that people had in the past, uh, that's been actually uh, repealed. Um, and that's sort of a landmark shift in terms of how uh, things are being handled. So we get a higher standard deduction, but the uh, personal exemption itself has been repealed. And used to be in the past, you'd subtract that from your income. So there's a whole different way of how your tax returns are being calculated in the future. You know, one of the other things I think is important too, and it's designed to be helpful for people who have children, especially dependent children, younger children. Um, Child and dependent tax credits have uh, doubled. The child credit has doubled for starting with the year 2018. And it's now available to more families. Um, That will be offset in some ways because of repealing the personal exemption. But for this year, for the year uh, 2018 and going forward, um, the um, maximum child tax credit is now $2,000. It's doubled. Hmm. Um, and it uh, used to be $1,000 for each child in a family under the age of 17. So that's going to be helpful. Um, it does phase out for people who have really large incomes, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. $400,000 for a couple. And I see that it says the standard deduction and the repeal of the personal exemption um, expire at the end of 2025. Right. That well, that's because we go back to the old system before. Yeah, yeah. So it's really going to be tough because if you've got people with younger children who are, you know, counting on this and using this, and all of a sudden the tax, uh, the, the, we go back to the old system, mm-hmm. that's going to now hurt a lot of people. Right. So I guess – one of the purposes of putting this law into effect was the thought that it was going to stimulate the economy and uh, create more jobs, and uh, they even gave it that name. But whether that actually turns out to be true um, is is really going to be the subject of analysis. One of the interesting things I see here on this chart that you had is that the corporate tax rate really went down a lot. Yes, it did. Um, it went from a top rate of 39% to a top rate of 21%. So yeah. that's a huge... And thanks for mentioning that, Mike, because uh, we're talking with Attorney Mike Coleman this morning. The the tax bill was really designed to reduce corporate tax rates, number one, and to help the very wealthy people in the country. Mm. And there may be some incidental benefits along the way for middle class and lower class, but not anywhere near as much as the benefits that are helping corporations and wealthier individuals. Right. I think part of the idea was to have more companies come to the United States with a lower tax rate. So it would be interesting to see if that's actually happened. If, right. You know. Well, and and again, the, the, the political basis for all of this was simply the fact that um, they wanted to, to help corporations with the lower tax rates mm-hmm. to see if that would help stimulate business. They wanted to help wealthier individuals because it was a Republican-controlled Congress at that point. Right. And... Um, in order to get that through, they had to make changes in things like the child tax credits to make it mm. acceptable and passable. Hmm. So um, they say there's uh, two things that you don't want to watch how they're being made. Uh, one is sausages, and the other is tax law. <laughs> and yeah. there's a lot of truth in that, I yeah, think. I guess so. Um, we're actually looking at four different sources of really good information this morning, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like copies of any of this stuff, let me know. The uh, New York Times on a Sunday uh, a few weeks ago 
did a really great, very detailed report simply called Your Taxes 2019 with a lot of super information. Um, I subscribe to the Kiplinger tax letter as well, um, and I use that often for tax tips. I want to come back to that in a minute. And then I pulled a very detailed article uh, out of the Wall Street Journal um, on their electronic version. And then from a company that I work with called Horse's Mouth, um, and it is mouth, uh, we've got this key tax change chart. So lots and lots of good information as well as all the study programs we continue to do. And we're happy to provide as much of this information as possible to you. I think the more people are educated about any of this stuff, the more you can make better decisions and save money for your family. We're going to come back in a minute. Um, I want to give a quick quotation from Oliver Wendell Holmes, a former chief justice of the Supreme Court. He said, I like to pay taxes. With them, I buy civilization. Wow, okay. Of course, we could argue we're not very civilized right now, too, I suppose. Well, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. We've got a lot more very specific, concrete information to tell you about uh, your taxes, your tax preparation, and maybe some ideas that will help you save money on your tax return this year. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to MoneyWise. You know, every Sunday morning, we're very pleased to be here in WBSM and talk to you about some things that will be helpful to you to protect your family and protect your money, save on taxes. That's what this show is all about. At USA Wealth Group, what we like to do is to show you how you can have a better retirement. And I like to say that you only get one retirement, so you really better get it right, and you really better make the best decisions you can make because you're not going to get a redo when it comes to retirement. And welcome back, Attorney Michael Coleman. Good morning. Good to Um, be here. Thank you. Yeah, you always are. um, It's been really fun having you on the radio, Mike, because um, you've gotten to be so professional doing this now that you could do this all by yourself. No, I don't think so. (laughs) I think you could. (laughs) But um, I do enjoy having you here. And when I um, sometimes have to look for information, you're able to pop right in, and you've got good questions and comments. So I try. It's very useful. Thank you. Let me give you some information from the uh, Kiplinger tax letter. And interestingly, this always comes in the mail to me the day before I do the radio show. Um, I'm not sure why. I, I didn't plan it that way. But um, a lot of people are going to find unpleasant surprises this year in their tax returns. Lower tax returns tax refunds, or even having to pay some bill, some uh, tax bills. But the IRS um, did issue new tax withholding tables last year, and they didn't really put out enough good information to alert people that they really better pay closer attention uh, to this fact. And so then they went into what they call a blitz mode, and they started telling people, um, begging people, you better check your withholding, check your withholding, check your withholding, so you won't have a surprise this year. Well, you know what? If you're going to have an unpleasant surprise this year, um, then start taking a look right now uh, at the beginning of this year at your withholding because a lot of people count on getting a larger refund. They use it to pay their credit card bills. They use it to pay real estate taxes. They use it to uh, go on a vacation or something of that nature. And all of a sudden, they don't get the large refund, and 
it really is going to come in a big surprise. The average tax refund so far this year is down 8.7% compared mm-hmm. with the first two weeks of last year. So refunds are going to be smaller, and the possibility of having to pay more money um, is going to be greater. It's, this is the new reality. A lot of people love their annual refund. You know, For some, the bigger the better. It's not a great thing to do economically because right. if you're putting more money into withholding because you want a bigger refund, you're making a tax-free loan to the government. Right. Mm-hmm. And if that's what you have to do to save money, well, for some people, that will work. Right, right. But um, if you unexpectedly owe money to the IRS, here's some things you could do. Number one, don't hold off filing your tax return. So even if you owe money to the IRS and you can't pay it for some reason, make sure you file your return uh, by the deadline anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, if you don't, there's a 5% a month late filing fee that you'll be charged. So don't go into panic mode and say, you know what, I'm going to have to pay taxes this year. I don't have it. I'm not going to file my tax return right now. It's going to get worse and worse. It'll get worse. They can charge you 5% more per month. Um, as a fee. So make sure you file. And by the way, there's an online payment agreement you can do. And um, if you owe $50,000 or less in taxes, penalties, and interest, and you filed all your prior tax returns, um, you can do an online payment agreement. Hmm. And you don't have to talk to anybody. You fill it out online. You show what your assets and your income are. And um uh, Make no, sure you do that. No one wants to talk to the IRS anyway, so that's a good. That's a good. Thing. Nope. And they're they're uh, understaffed anyway, so they're yeah. probably not going to be able to talk to somebody. Right. Um, I was going to just say something else about uh, filing your tax return. Uh, well, make sure you file on time is the most important thing. Oh, I know what it's going to say. I've had three cases in my office in the last two weeks where people have gone for years without filing their tax returns. Jeez. And the interesting thing is that at least in one of those cases, they're going to have to pay some money, and they'll be mm-hmm. paying interest and penalties. Yeah. But the other two cases, um, the people were just basically overwhelmed and went into sort of a panic mode. Mm-hmm. In those two cases, those people have refunds coming to them. <laughs> and I worked on a case two years ago where I had the same thing, where a gentleman hadn't filed for several years, and I did some quick calculations and said you've got refunds coming wow hmm. you know so you're not gonna have to pay money but he, in in one particular case i'm working on right now uh it's been 10 years since this person filed mm-hmm. i looked at the last return they filed which is in the year 2010 uh they got a five thousand dollar refund that year their income was pretty good the withholding was very high yeah. and then i looked at some of the uh, uh withholding forms mm-hmm. that they did uh, for subsequent years, and the income level is approximately the same, the deductions are going to be approximately the same, and the withholding is approximately the same. Hmm. And I said, you may be looking at a four or $5,000 refund for each of these wow. eight or nine years. Why would they not file, I wonder? Well, it was you know, being overwhelmed by other issues. And yeah. um, in one case, it was an unexpected divorce, and the person mm. went into sort of shutdown mode. Oh, I see. But... Uh, in two cases, at least, we're working on gathering information. These people are going to have some significant refunds. Hmm. So if you haven't filed, 
get into compliance. It can catch up with you eventually, or if you want to apply for a job, they want, they want to know that you filed your tax returns. Guess what happens, Mike, if you want to file for a reverse mortgage? You can't. You can't. Right. They want to know that you are in compliance with your past tax yeah. returns filings. They want to know that they'll be paid eventually. Well, it's it's that. It's the fact that a reverse mortgage relies upon guarantees from the FHA. Oh, I see. It's a federal program, mm-hmm. and they don't want to have you benefit from a federal program to get a reverse mortgage if you haven't taken care of your obligation to file your tax returns. Hmm, that makes sense. They're also concerned, um, and the new regulations on reverse mortgages are also concerned that, uh, gee, if you haven't filed tax returns and taken care of that obligation, are you going to continue to pay for the insurance on your house or your real estate taxes. Yeah, that's a good point. So lots of reasons to make sure you file tax returns. And um, so well, I was just going to interject. That one of the interesting things I see on this chart relating to taxes now is that it relates to alimony. So that's alimony, one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be um, deductible for the payer, the person paying the alimony, Right. And it would be taxed as income for the person receiving it. And typically, and this is not a sexist remark, it would be the husband who was paying the alimony Right. in most cases, not always, but in most mm-hmm. cases, and he would get a deduction. Yeah. And the former wife, which it would be in most cases receiving the alimony, would have to pick it up as income. Right. So what is it now, Mike? <laughs> now the alimony is no longer deductible for the payor, payer, or nor is it considered income for the payee. Okay. So that really... <laughs> But the good news, um, ladies and gentlemen who are listening, is that this is not retroactive. No. This only applies for new divorces in 2019. Right. It applies to agreements executed after 2018. Yep. So if you um, are planning to get a divorce in 2019, you may now want to take a look at the tax consequences of this. (laughs) It's it's going to be much more detrimental for the husband and much more beneficial for the wife. And that probably is changing now these days. You know, women are making more money, so it could be the flip. Oh, I've seen cases where women were paying the alimony and the husband was uh, receiving the alimony. Right. It's a little unusual. Usually it's the other way around. Right. But you got to wonder, what's that going to do for divorces? Right. Hopefully. (laughs) Any divorce lawyers listening out there? (laughs) they got to be wondering whether their business is going to go down because people are going to stay married. It's a heck of a reason to stay married because yeah. of taxes, yeah. isn't yeah. it? It is. Yep. But I guess there have been other reasons. Well, we won't go there. <laughs> um, did you ever hear of Rush Limbaugh? I have, yep. Uh, conservative uh, radio commentator. He said, no nation has ever taxed itself into prosperity. Hmm. I'm not sure if that's the philosophy that was used in adopting the new tax bill. Hmm. But my favorite is from John Marshall. Okay. Now, all right, I got to ask you a stump the stars question. Do you know who John Marshall was? No. <laughs> uh, he was a Supreme Court justice yeah, back okay. in the early days of the country. I should know that. I shouldn't have asked you that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Marshall was the chief justice. He said, "The power to tax is the power to destroy," mm. and it can be. But what we want to make sure is that um, people are paying attention to taxes. Mm-hmm. So we talked about child and dependent. Uh, tax credits, um, withholding. We've talked about it a little bit more. If you're not paying attention to withholding, you're making a really major mistake. Taxes on investment income have changed, and 
The alternative minimum tax is still in effect, but it affects fewer people than it used to. Hmm. And usually it was wealthier people with multiple sources of income. Um, here's a very important one um, on this particular chart. I'll let you talk about this one if you want to, or I can start. Uh, the individual mandate basically was a requirement that was put into effect under the Obama administration that said people had to have health insurance, and if you didn't have health insurance, you had to pay a penalty. Hmm. And you had to report on your income tax return whether you had individual health insurance. And mm-hmm. if not, you automatically put in the number, and it was expensive. It was like $750. You get whacked. Yeah, That has now gone away. So starting in the year 2019, um, there is no longer a penalty to pay if you don't have health insurance. Well, you can't afford to be without health insurance. No, and, but I'm sure a lot of people are. Uh, a lot of people still are. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about estate taxes already, so I want to talk just quickly about a home seller's exemption. People still get this wrong because the old law used to be if you sold your house and you had a capital gain, you didn't have to pay capital gains tax if you reinvested the money into another house within a certain period of time. That law hasn't been around for probably 10 years, I'm okay. guessing. Mm-hmm. But people still ask me questions about that. Well, don't I have a certain time I have to reinvest the money? The answer is no. Mm-hmm. It's very simple and very clear cut. If you uh, have had a primary residence, it can be a condo, it can be as much as a one to four family home, um, and you or a single family home, obviously, and you sell your home and you have a gain um, for single people, you can have $250,000 in capital gain and not pay any tax on that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a married couple, you can double that. You can mm-hmm. have $500,000 of capital gain mm-hmm. and not pay taxes. There's some other rules. You have to have occupied the house as your primary residence for two out of the last five-year period. Okay. So basically that rule has not changed, and that will save me from answering some of those questions. That's an interesting one. I deal with that sometimes, for instance, when you know parents pass away and the kids are selling the house and they want to know what sort of tax implications they're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part of that is that even though they didn't occupy the house as their principal residence, right. um, they still sort of get a step up in the basis for capital gains tax purposes. And that's a really good point, Mike. Um, and again, we're talking with attorney Mike Coleman because you do a lot of work with trusts and estates and wills and you handle trust administration when somebody dies. Yeah. And by the way, if you want to reach Michael Coleman, uh, you can call him at 508-998-8800. But the law on step-up and basis of assets hasn't changed. What that means is that, uh, real simple terms, capital gains disappears at death. Yeah. So if you inherit a house, for example, you've got a parent who bought a house you know, 40 years ago and they paid $15,000 for it. Now it's worth $250,000. And people say, gee, if I sell it, am I going to have to pay taxes? Right. The answer is no. Right. And that applies to, all, to other forms of assets that have appreciated in value over time. So, for example, it could apply to stock. Right. Right. So if someone bought a share of stock for $5 a long time ago and now it's worth 100 if they were to sell it before they pass away, they have to claim all that capital gain mm-hmm. potentially in that appreciated asset, whereas if it's inherited, then there's a step-up in that. Right. So the step-up in basis means that the capital gains disappears. All that gain in between 
the step up in basis means the child, let's say, inherits the house at fair market value as of the time of death. Right. Yeah. They can turn around and sell it, so their cost is now that two hundred and fifty thousand. They sell it for two fifty. Mm-hmm. There's no gain. Right. That's so, why we a lot of times advise people to get appraisals of the houses when someone's passed away to get a good idea of what the value was. Hmm. You know, there's another interesting aspect of that also, Mike, and that is that um, sometimes people will say, well, gee, my parents are going to give me the house. And so if the parents give the house to the child before they die, and then a short while later or any time later the parent dies, there's no step up in basis. Right, yeah. So if that house costs the parent $15,000, my example, Mm -hmm. and they give it to the child, the child gets what's called a carryover basis. They own that house for another fifteen, the same fifteen thousand their parent did. Yep. And now the parent dies, and they say, "All right, it's time to sell the house." They sell it for two fifty. They're going to have a two hundred and thirty-five thousand dollar gain. Right, right. So it's not necessarily the best idea. You need to really look at that carefully. There's one exception to that. If they that, were to live at the house, if they for live two in the house years. for two yeah. years as their residence. Yeah. Now it becomes their personal residence, and now they could sell it and exclude $250,000 a gain. Right. But maybe they don't want to live in the house. Generally, we say not to give assets to kids anyway, just because, you know, if they get into their own financial issues or if they have a divorce or something happens, then your house could be at risk. So in general, when I meet with clients and they say, I want to just gift my house to my child, I say, no, don't do that. Well, I think it, I guess the most important point I'd make about that is with every single thing you do today, you have to look at the tax consequences of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're not getting tax advice, um, you're not looking at everything you need to look at. And it depends on the situation. I mean, it can't be a blanket statement of, you know, do this or do that. But in general, we think that's probably a bad idea to mm-hmm. just give things to kids. Yep. Well, I think so too. And I think so because you can have liability exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, children are much more apt to be driving fast on the highway than yeah. older people like me. <laughs> you drive pretty fast. I drive pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And also the other thing is that you lose your homestead exemption. So if if you are living in a house that you no longer own. Excellent point. Yeah. Very, so very good point. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought about that one, Mike, because what that means is parent gives the house to the child and the child is not living there. Right. Um, the parent continues to live there, there's no more homestead exemption on the house, right, and that right. protects equity. Mm-hmm. What is it, age 62? 62, there's a step up in the amount that it gets covered under the Homestead Act. So if, you considered, if you're over 62, 62 or older in Massachusetts, you're considered to be an elderly person, yeah. <laughs> and um, then you're entitled to, what, a $500,000 homestead yep, exemption? 500000 per individual. You know, so I hadn't thought about that piece of it. That's really kind of interesting. So parent thinks they're doing a great thing to give the house to the kid. Mm-hmm. Kid's not going to live there. Uh, parent now loses the homestead exemption, which means if somebody um, has a liability, a, lo- a lawsuit, a car accident against the child, the house is not protected. Yeah, lose, correct. lose the house. Yeah, exactly. So lots of good reasons. Mm-hmm. Arthur Godfrey, you probably don't know who Arthur Godfrey is, do you? No, not Gilbert Godfrey. No. <laughs> Arthur Godfrey was a really weird-looking dude with red hair and kind of a funny-looking face who was on television oh, yeah? probably in the 50s or the 60s. Huh. 
Um, he was like an Ed Sullivan. Do you know who Ed Sullivan was? Yeah, I've heard what, of Ed okay, Sullivan. You've heard of Ed Sullivan. <laughs> well, for all of you older folks listening, you know who Arthur Godfrey was. Arthur Godfrey was once said, I am proud to be paying taxes in the United States. The only thing is I could be just as proud for half the money. <laughs> and then how far back do you think people were concerned about taxes, Mike? How far back? Yeah, how far? 20s. 20s? 1920s. At least the 20s? Yeah. About 2,000 years ago. Okay. <laughs> How about Plato? I thought Greek, you meant in the United States. No, I just meant in general. Oh, okay. The Greek philosopher Plato said, where there is an income tax, the just man will pay more and the unjust man less on the same amount of income. Hmm. Sounds like our country today, hmm, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, we're still trying to get tax returns and find out. Most politicians reveal all their tax returns most. Yeah. All right, here's, here's a great one. Uh, did you ever hear of James Otis? Oh, God, no. This is stumping me today. No, he's not related to Otis Elevators okay. either. <laughs> no, James Otis was a very famous Massachusetts activist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from Massachusetts, and he's the person who said, taxation without representation is tyranny. Huh. So he that. was around at the time of the... Uh, revolution, the American Revolution. But what I like is the fact that he was from Massachusetts. Hmm. And it's considered to be the first great American quote on um, anti-taxes or anti-tax quotes. And um, But we've had a lot of good slogans on taxes. Um, lots of things. Charitable tax deductions, I've mentioned this a couple of times on the radio, but it's useful to say again, I've got several people who Instead of taking their minimum dis, uh, deduction, minimum distribution from their IRA, as you know, when you're 70 and a half, you, you must take money out of your IRA account. Mm-hmm. It starts out at about a 4% amount you have to take. Um, when you take it, you have to pay income taxes on it. It's all 100% ordinary income. Mm-hmm. Um, so what if you decided, I'm going to take my minimum distribution and it's $5,000, but you know what? I'm going to make a $5,000 charitable deduction to my church. Mm-hmm. Well, when you do that, um, the deduction you're going to get to your church for the $5,000, first of all, you're only going to get about 60% of that amount is deductible under the new tax bill. Mm-hmm. About $3,000 would be the amount of your deduction, number one. And number two, you have to be able to claim itemized deductions as well. Yeah. Which so fewer a, people are going to do because yep. of the standard deduction. So there's a much better way to do it. If you think you're going to give money to your church anyway for $5,000 and you have to take a $5,000 IRA distribution, um, what you can do is you can have it go directly from your IRA account directly to the church or the institution you want to give it to. Huh. It's much better economically to do that. And I've got a number of people who've chosen to do it that way mm-hmm. because now you won't get a deduction but you're not going to take $5,000 into income. Income, okay. That so makes it's a much sense. better tax benefit for you in doing that. And how would they go about doing that? They have to work that out with the custodian? It's a little complicated. Yeah. You have to tell your IRA custodian, I don't want the check to come to me. I want it to go directly to the charity, and here's the information. Right. But I've got several clients that do that every single year, and it's a wonderful thing if you can do that. Um. When we talk about taxes, uh, one of the things we do at USA Wealth Group, 
And by the way, you can reach us at 508-998-8858. We do a lot of work advising people in retirement accounts and Mm -hmm. retirement planning. And there are always tax issues to do with retirement planning. Um, Retirement savings. um, Basically, most of the rules have changed, uh, have not changed. There have been some changes for Roth IRAs. They're not going to be relevant for most people. So I'm not going to go into it right now except to say that if you have questions about how do do the new tax rules impact my Roth account, um, you're better off to come into the office and we'll Mm -hmm. talk about that one because it doesn't impact a lot of people. Um, One of the things that I deal with a lot is the gift tax, Yep. um, which hasn't changed, but it's worth just noting that the gift tax is $15,000 per year um, per individual. That's the exemption amount. Yeah, the exemption amount. So you can give away... $15,000 $15,000 to as many people as you want without having to file a gift tax return, right. correct? Yep. And then if you give away more than that, you do have to file a return, but you don't pay tax on that until you get up to $11 million now, right, Right. is the exemption. Exactly. We have what's called the um, unified gift and estate tax. So we said earlier in the program that you can now have an estate as large as $11.2 million right. as a single person, $22 million as a couple and not have to pay estate taxes. Well, it also applies to the gift tax law because you can give away up to $11.2 million as an individual. Not too many people have that, obviously. Um, and you have to file a gift tax return, but you're not going to owe a penny of gift tax right. on the right. money. And I think the gifts actually lower the exemption amount for estate tax. Is that correct if you give away? Okay. Uh, we're going to end in, in just a couple minutes. I guess I haven't been paying attention to the clock here, have I? So we need to end the show right now? All right. We're going to leave you on that mystery note, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll come back <laughs> to you to another time. next week. Thank you so much for listening, Mike. I got so carried away talking about taxes that I ran out of time. All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Give us a call. 508-998-8858. 